0: Hi, Journey. Uh, My name is Brandon Edwards, and I wanted to be here so I could we could welcome AJ. AJ Swoboda is our speaker today. Dr. AJ Swoboda. He's um, a pastor in Portland at Theophilus Church. Um, He's one of my favorite preaching uh, preaching pastors and professors. It was my favorite uh, class in seminary was taking uh, preaching from. Dr. Swoboda. Reverend Doctor. Yeah, Reverend Doctor. (laughs) Um, And he's here uh, this week, visiting family, speaking with us, and then his family is here with us. Quinn and Elliot are here also, his wife Quinn and their son, Elliot. So, but we wanted to give a warm welcome to Dr. AJ Swoboda. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, Journey. Hope you're well this morning, and made it, um, made, made your your uh, made your bed, and you got you kind of got some breakfast in you, and got some coffee in you, and you're ready to spend some time uh, wrestling with the scriptures. Um, in a few seconds here, I'm going to read uh, from the Book of Revelation uh, a text uh, uh, about about heaven. Uh, but before I do that, just want to mention uh, this evening, uh, I'm going to be um, doing a, kind of a public talk. Um, uh, on some work that I've been, I've been doing over the last couple of years. In fact, I'm writing a book on this uh, topic of Sabbath rest. Um, and I, to, I want to talk tonight at seven o'clock um, about uh, how to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to rest well. In my experience, Christians are some of the most neurotic, overworked people in America. And I want to talk about how Jesus really actually likes you a lot. And he wants you to learn how to rest in a way that honors him. It turns out in the Bible, Sleep is not a result of the fall. Somebody may say, uh, I'll sleep when I'm in heaven. And I want to tell you tonight that if you don't sleep, you'll get there a little quicker. Okay, so coming up, we want to talk about what it means to rest well, uh, to have rhythms in your life, to honor um, uh, these principles of of rest that God has initiated. And then I wanted to mention as well, I just finished a book called The Dusty Ones, which came out just a few months ago. It's about wandering in the Bible, and I brought some copies uh, in the back tonight if you uh, want to find your way uh, uh, back there. Uh, I live in Portlandia. Uh, I live in, in the part of Portland, Southeast Portland called the Hawthorne District. And for many of you, as you've been watching the news, um, you've seen my neighborhood uh, in the news a lot recently. Um, all those uh, protests that have been going on uh, in Portland are actually happening fairly close to where uh, my family lives. And it's a kind of an interesting season to, to live in the city of Portland and be a Christian. Um, Interesting is probably the the, the uh, maybe not be the right word, um, but we're learning a lot. It's a challenging time, um, and we're learning that um, in the midst of these very uncertain times, um, what what's really unique about these uncertain times culturally in our in our in our world, particularly in a place like Portland is so many people assume that places like Portland are you know, secular and progressive and, 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 and God like, abandoned it years ago or something like that. Um, and here's what I'm finding. It's crazy. Last week, we had our largest church gathering we have ever had. I am seeing so many secular people meet Jesus. Um, These days, friends, of saying um, that religion is dying and faith is dying, I gotta tell you, I'm in the most progressive unchurched city in America, and if I'm not seeing it, then it's not true. So um, in these very funky times, I gotta say, Jesus still continues to pursue humanity the Bible still works and the gospel still counts. So keep holding it up, folks. But this morning, uh, I want to talk about Facebook. <laughs> um, how many people in the room uh, have a Facebook, are on Facebook? It's interesting that we say on like it's a drug or something. Are you on it? <laughs> You want it? Um, how many people are not on Facebook? I want to say that. Keep your hands up for a second. If you're raising your hand right now, you are a normal human being. And we respect you so deeply. And for those of us who are on Facebook, we all want to be like you someday. Okay. Um, these are interesting times on Facebook, if you haven't noticed. Um, these are challenging times to um, post anything ever about anything um, and read anything at all. Um, And what's interesting about Facebook, when you watch Facebook, is um, one of the unique things that Facebook offers for the church is a mirror, so to speak, of the kinds of things that we say to the public, to the world. Um, You may or may not know this, but Facebook is actually in a lot of trouble right now. Um, It's going to be in the news quite a bit in the next couple of months because um, it appears as though, you know, Facebook had, uh, as it were, some some influences that even it didn't know it had on the election in ways that it never even wanted to have. Um, And I'm not here to throw Facebook under the bus, um, but there's a really big problem with Facebook. And here's the problem with Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, here's your problem. The problem with Facebook is this. You may or may not know this, but when you like something on Facebook... Um, when you put a picture of something on Facebook, when you um, like somebody, you like um, an organization, you post some political thing, you po- whatever, you like something. When you do that, little did you know uh, that Facebook has all these algorithms that actually give you, this is crazy, the algorithms actually give you more of what you've already liked. So when you like something, it gives you more of what you've already liked. And if you're on Facebook long enough, what eventually happens is your, your news feed, your Facebook page, eventually becomes an extreme version of your true self. Have you ever disliked somebody because they said something you didn't like on Facebook? Have you ever decided to not subscribe to somebody because they said things you didn't like? Here's the problem with Facebook. It is a sign of the end of the world. You think I'm crazy? And if we have any Facebook executives in the room, I'm I'm sorry. But actually the Bible says in 1st and 2nd Timothy that in the last days, in the last days, that you would surround yourself with people who tickle your ears. And by that, that you would surround yourself with people who already think the ideas that you already think. And the problem with Facebook is this, is it's causing you all to think that you are right and everybody else is wrong. These are the signs of the end of the world. We've become lovers of ourselves more than lovers of God. We have. Now, the end has been happening for like 2,000 years. And it probably will continue for a little while longer. One of the things I've noticed on Facebook is this. I have noticed in these very awkward times that Christians increasingly are talking about heaven in a very weird way. And that is, I'm increasingly seeing Christians put things on Facebook like, Jesus, just take us. Jesus, may we just go to heaven. Jesus, would you end it all? And when I hear those things, I actually put myself in the shoes of my secular non-Christian friends. The friends that I know around me who don't have a relationship or or believe in Jesus and think the Bible's foolish or silly or weird or or apathetic or so on and so forth. When I think about the way Christians say that stuff, I wonder, what does that sound like to people around us? And the truth is, friends, here's the problem. I think for most of us, we think heaven is an escape tool from not having to deal with the reality of the world that God has put us in. And for the next few minutes, I want to talk about how heaven is not a hall pass for being lazy about the responsibilities of this world. Rather, heaven, our belief in heaven is what inspires us and what gives us hope to serve the poor, to love our neighbor, to bring justice and goodness to this world. Heaven is not a hall pass for laziness. You may disagree, but I'm right. (laughs) I want to read the scripture, Revelation 21. And actually, I'm not right. The Bible's right. Revelation 21, listen to this. This is John talking about heaven. He, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne is saying, I am making all things new. Write this down for these are the words that are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. Same words Jesus said from the cross. It is finished. It is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. And to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. This is the word of God. Would you say amen with me this morning? Amen. 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 And Friends, do you listen, listen to the words of John? Do you find it so it is not without importance to recognize the fact that John says, if you are thirsty, if you are thirsty, drink from the wellspring of life. That is, the, interestingly enough, the last commandment in the Bible, Revelation 22, the last commandment in the Bible is if you're thirsty, drink from the wells of Jesus. I find it interesting that the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, when God is instructing Adam and Eve his first commandment is be fruitful and multiply. That is the only commandment in the Bible humanity has done. <laughs> and then he says, eat, eat. Do you find it by love? God gets Americans. The Bible begins with food and it drinks with drink. It ends with drink. Friends, don't think of this book as a book. It is a table. Come and eat with me, Jesus says. Let me in. Let me drink with you. Let me eat with you. This is a table. John gives us a picture of heaven. A picture of heaven. Two, by the way, a church that is experiencing incredible fear, persecution, hatred. And what does God do to a church that's experiencing uncertainty in the world Does he give them a bumper sticker or some saccharine little cliche? No, 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 no. When God wants to speak to his church who is hated and persecuted and increasingly marginalized, how does God address his church? He tells them about heaven. What do you think about heaven? Do you think about heaven? You know, I... um, By the way, I didn't read the last verse in this little section, mostly because I just don't want to deal with it this morning, but I'll I'll say it anyways. Verse 8, the verse afterwards says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice the magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I'd love to hear how they tackled that one in the children's ministry here. (laughs) It's really interesting to me that John talks about heaven And then all of a sudden shifts to a conversation about hell. And what's important to me about that is this sort of universal uh, and I think sacred truth of the New Testament that um, we can't really pick which one we like. Like if you're going to believe in heaven, then you got to believe in hell too. And I got to tell you this morning, friends, uh, I believe in hell. I believe in hell and you should too. Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning? we talk about hell. No. Hell is important. I think we have to, it is impossible, by the way, to read the story of Jesus and say Jesus never dealt with the topic. He actually talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. I mean, Jesus talked about hell a lot. If Jesus came into Journey Church and talked about hell as much as he did in the gospel stories, you would all find another church. He talked about hell all the time. All the time. And I don't think hell is just some sort of mythical, me- metaphorical image. I think it's, it's a thing. It's, it's real. And I, I think believing in it is really important. And even if you don't believe the Bible, to be true, um, <laughs> even our, our academics are telling this. Uh, you know how we know hell is real? Because the University of Oregon tells us it is. I went to the University of Oregon, and everything that they do is good. Uh, there was a study about five years ago, six years ago, at the University of Oregon, And what they did was they studied the relationship between hell and um, crime rates. And you know what they found? They found something shocking, the psych department at the University of Oregon. They found something shocking. And that is people who believe in hell are half true story as likely to commit a violent crime. That's the University of Oregon. If you don't even like the Bible, that's fine. University of Oregon will tell you hell is important. And here's why. You know why? Because hell has the idea, it, it is the built-in notion of accountability. I heard a, Jew, a Jewish rabbi once say that after the Holocaust, uh, among Jews, the idea of judgment and and, God's, and, and, and and hell actually increased among Jewish communities for this simple reason. That if you don't believe in hell as a Jew, you are resigned to the notion, he said this to me. You are resigned to the notion to believe that Anne Frank and Adolf Hitler got the same lot in the afterlife. Hell is real. Now, I want you to believe it. I don't want here's the, but I don't want you to like it. By the way, there's a huge difference between believing in something and liking something. I never said I like hell. And actually, C.S. Lewis once said that the people that creeped him out the most, C.S. Lewis said this, the people that creeped him out the most were the people not who believed in hell, but liked it. And he said, the problem with liking hell is that more often than not, people who like hell just secretly know somebody who they wish was there. (laughs) He says, if you like it, it's probably because you're secretly wanting somebody to be there who you don't like. Hell, frankly, friends, hell should grieve our hearts. It It should grieve us. It should grieve us that there is any place in all of creation where somebody would resign to be all by themselves rather than be loved by the living God. I believe in it, but I hate it. And believing in heaven is so important too. What we believe about heaven is so important. Every year I try to explain, my son's five years old. Elliot, he's in the pool right now at the hotel. Every year I try to explain to my son one theological concept that's way beyond anybody. Last year I explained to my five year old the Trinity. You ever explained to a five year old the Trinity? How'd it go? Pretty well, huh? Have you ever talked to a kid about God and walked away realizing, I I don't know anything (laughs) at all? I need to read the Bible. (laughs) Kids are God's gift to you. Get in your Bible. Okay. Last year was the Trinity. This year, heaven. And when I, said, when I was sitting down with my son, I'm sitting in his room, and his room is filled with toys, just toys everywhere. He got, watched Star Wars for the first time on his fifth birthday. Toys everywhere, we're sitting in his room, and I'm trying to explain to my son what heaven is like. And it's not coming across. I'm saying it's this place where we're with God forever and with each other, and it's awesome. But he's like, forever? Like, what is forever? It's just forever, man. You know what it is. I mean, the Bible says eternity is in the hearts of all people, right? You should get it. You're a kid. Believe it. Forever. Which is ironic. By the way, explaining hell to my son made a lot of sense. Because he's been in time (laughs) out. Yet it's not hard to explain hell to my son. He's like, what's hell? And I'm like, it's just being in time out forever. He's like, I don't want to go there. I know. Believe in Jesus. (laughs) But heaven is hard. How do you explain being with God forever? And we're sitting in his room. And all of a sudden it dawns on me. I know how to explain it. And I said, being in heaven... Is being with God and it's the place with all the toys. <laughs> and he looks at me without even flinching. And he goes, Can we go there now? And I said, No. You can't? You're waiting. I'm gonna die first. But I said and friends, when you and I hear about heaven, do you do the same thing? <laughs> I want to go there now. In fact, that's what Paul says in Philippians. Do you remember that part in Philippians? He's saying, he's writing to the church in Philippi and he's saying, I wanna be in heaven. I wanna be with Jesus. I don't wanna be in this body. I hate this thing. I wanna be with Jesus. I wanna be with God. But he says, but God has kept me here and I'm gonna be here to serve you. Even Paul, the apostle says, when you hear about heaven, I just wanna go there. And the problem is, friends, too many of us are running away from a world that God is running towards, because he has put us here for a reason. Heaven, heaven is not an escape tool to get us out of here, friends. Heaven is the reason we stay and serve. Heaven is why we serve the poor. And Bozeman. Heaven is why we love our neighbors. Heaven is why we do the things that we do. Heaven is why we love our neighbors, why we love our enemies, why we serve people who need to be served. That is why we serve. Friends, we, heaven is the hope of being in a world that feels often like hell. That's why we're here. And that's why we stay And actually, death, the closer we get to death, friends, the more and more we're going to become interested in God. I have never once ever met somebody who converted to atheism on their deathbed. Nobody's ever once in history, I think, converted to atheism on their deathbed. Why? Because the closer you get to pain and suffering, the more and more you want God. I want to point out a few things from this text. First is this, friends, heaven is gonna be really surprising. Heaven is gonna be very surprising. John describes heaven, and look how he describes heaven. It is a city. Isn't that fascinating? All of a sudden, some of us are totally confused, and here's why. At some point, a long time ago in our Christian journey, there probably was a flannel graph involved. There was a point in which we were told that heaven will be this place in the clouds uh, and we will probably have a harp in one hand and a hymnal in the other, which I don't know how you play a harp when you got a hymnal in the other hand or vice versa. And we just sort of float around with angels. As exciting as that, may sound <laughs> there is only one problem at all there's just one problem minor minuscule issue with that problem um, is that that image of heaven is just not in this book like anywhere <laughs> at all as inerrant as your flanograph may be in your memory heaven is never depicted as being in the clouds. You will not have wings. There's no image of that. It will be a city, the New Jerusalem. A city. Now, if that doesn't surprise you, I don't know what will. My friend uh, Jerry Root, who uh, teaches evangelism at Wheaton College. He is uh, the, the top, C, this guy's a total nerd, top C.S. Lewis scholars in America. Knows more about C.S. Lewis than C.S. Lewis knew about C.S. Lewis. And he teaches evangelism. He's a phenomenal preacher. He's a friend of mine. He's preaching our church in a couple weeks. He loves to ask people, what will be our first words in heaven? And he has this thing that he does with congregations where he'll say, what do you, what do you think will be the first thing that we'll say? And Most people, when they hear, well, what do we say when we get to heaven? We arrive right there. Um, Most of us think, well, meet Peter because he's at the gate doing something with a clipboard or something like Peter's heaven's bouncer or something like that. (laughs) And then we'll go in, and most people think that we will all just sort of go like, wow, and Jerry Root says, you're all wrong. He says, we will enter glory, and Jerry Root says, the first thing that will come out of our mouth will be this. Oh. Be shocked. We won't even believe it. Because it will be so different than we ever expected. Do you remember Jesus telling the parable, Matthew 25? He says, The parable, the sheep and the goats. He says, there, There's that parable, there, that story. Uh, when, when people enter into either glory or judgment, they will come. And the ones on Jesus' is right, the sheep, will be the people who clothed Jesus and fed Jesus and gave water to Jesus who really were the least of these. But Jesus says, when you do it to those, you do it to me. But the ones on the left were the ones who didn't clothe Jesus, who didn't feed Jesus, who didn't give Jesus anything to drink. And both of them, what's shocking, is those that are entering glory and those that are entering judgment. When you read both of their responses, it is incredible to recognize that both of them are shocked, right? We talked about that last year when we were together, when I shared there's a sense of surprise i think there will be people in heaven that you really wish weren't there it will be the opposite of facebook where you can never un- unfriend the person you don't like there will be there are people in your life who you go there's no way in the world that person knows god knows jesus And they may seem mean and grumpy, and but on the heart of hearts, they love Jesus. I think there are people in this room who are faking it, who make it look good, but their hearts are far from Jesus. I think we'll be surprised. I think we'll be surprised. I told you last year about my bully. I had a bully in junior high. The guy met Jesus. I have to spend eternity with that guy. Forever. (laughs) To the Sandlot fans in the room. It's a long time. It's a long time. I think heaven will be surprising. Karl Barth, a long time ago, one of my favorite theologians was once asked, will I see my loved ones in heaven? And he said, oh, not only your loved ones. Friends, in this room, if you're sitting in and you're, you don't identify as a Christian, I've got the greatest and the worst news in the world for you. The worst news is this. You have interpreted your relationship with God as being about doing all the right things and finally he'll love you. I've got terrific news and horrible news. Horrible news is you've been going about it all the wrong way. The great news is this. God's love for you is not predicated on how awesome you are. It is predicated on the love of Jesus Christ. That is all the church has going for it. It's God's grace. You want to be surprised by heaven? Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Turn to him. Love him. He loves you. We will be surprised. Secondly, <laughs> heaven is going to look a lot like Bozeman. Bozeman. Notice, it's a city. It's a city with, interestingly enough, for anybody paying attention to the minute details who some would say are not important, but to me are the word of God. Notice, there's culture, buildings, ships, the book of Isaiah describes, creation. There's a river, a river, friends, flows through the new Jerusalem. A river runs through it isn't a movie. It's the depiction of the new Jerusalem. Move over, Robert Redford. This is the Bible we're talking about. The, 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 the river that flowed through Eden will now flow through this new city. It is a place of culture. Two differences. No sun, no ocean. Why no sun? Why no ocean? There will be no sun for one reason. Jesus, the text says, will be the light of the world. He will literally light everything. We will no longer have a need for a sun. The Son of God replaces the Son of the sky. And there will be no ocean. Why no ocean? Now, interestingly enough, I've always thought that that has to do with the fact that the ocean in the ancient world was a place of fear and trepidation. Nobody wanted to go to the ocean because it was scary. And so I've always interpreted that, that New Jerusalem is gonna be a place where there's no fear, no terror, no chaos. Somebody recently told me, though, then when you think about why there's no sea and you look at the Genesis account, in the Genesis account the sea was a thing that divided. In fact it divided people groups. There were people that were separated by sea and he says in that world there will be no ocean. Everyone can walk to Jerusalem. All right. But there will be a city. There will be a city. And friends, I think it's going to look a lot like Bozeman. Do you notice? (laughs) Do you notice that the the text says heaven will come down to earth? Isn't that interesting? I always have said, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to go to heaven. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And I understand the sentiment behind that. Again, the only problem is the Bible. Because the Bible says we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. Every man in this room, do you remember the minute your wife walked down the aisle? Oh. It will come to us. Heaven comes here. This is what I think happens. I think God actually takes the world that we have made. He takes the creations that we, our architecture. He takes the good things we've made. He takes our our ships, our inventions, and he resurrects them into this new world. He will take the good things. Who built the buildings in Jerusalem? He will take all these things and resurrect them into his glory. That's why I tell every hipster in this room who has a tattoo some of those tattoos will make it into glory. Some of them will be annihilated. (laughs) But some of them will be resurrected into that new world. The good ones. He will take this world. Why? The text says not he will make all new things. He will make all things new. Beautiful. Thirdly, Heaven will be the new creation. It will be that new creation where this creation, the one that God has made, will operate in the way God designed it to operate. He will be at the throne. Let me translate that. He will be the president forever. No elections. Praise the Lord. Literally. He will be the incumbent for eternity. And in that place, friends, there will be zero injustice. There will be zero pain. There will be zero racism. There will be zero hatred. In that place, mercy and justice and goodness will rule. Can you imagine that world? You know, you don't have to work very hard. People are getting down on you Christians for your old second century arcane view of sexuality. They look at you and go, you guys are so silly. Just, it's the 21st century, grow up. I'm stuck in the second century. Can you imagine a world where sex was treated as a sacred gift from a creator, where it was only enjoyed in the context of two people who loved each other with all their hearts. Can you imagine that world? Can you imagine a world where there was zero rape, where there were zero abortions? Can you imagine a world where there were zero children sexually abused? Can you imagine a world in which every child had a parent, a father, a mother who cared for them? You can say to me, that is arcane in second century. I would say that's heaven. That's heaven. Get down all you want on the church's arcane view. But if we actually didn't, there would be zero rape. If we actually did it. It will be a place where zero injustice, there will be zero crying, zero hatred. It will be this creation done in the way God wanted it to be. Jesus' work was to make creation great again. I went there. That says nothing about who I voted for, by the way. But Jesus' work is bigger than any president our country could ever handle. He will take this creation and he will make it new. This old, broken creation, and he will renew it. This creation screams the love of God. A friend of mine who's a she's a a, she's a a relative, she asked me, she said, AJ, you got PhD in this stuff. What is your greatest argument for the existence of God? I said to her, honestly, mangoes. You ever had a mango? And been like, I can't believe in God? that ever happened in your life? And I'm not talking just old mangoes. I'm talking like a mango, the one where the juice gets all over your shirt. It's a change your shirt mango. You ever had one of those? She goes, that's seriously your greatest argument for the existence of God. I said, absolutely. I have a hard time believing that whoever invented that is a jerk. (laughs) Food, friends. Have you eaten food? If you're an agnostic or an atheist, I want you to go buy a mango after church today. I want you to eat it and say, there is no God. This creation screams the love of God. There's a guy in our church, Aaron Kelsey, who runs Young Life. He leads more inner city kids to Jesus than you could imagine. You know how he does it? He takes them camping inner city kids who have never seen the stars and he takes them out and he shows them the stars and you know what happens when you take an inner city kid out to see the stars who hasn't seen the stars before. They can't help but start asking questions. This, I do not know how somebody could be in Bozeman and not believe in God. Man, this is not a mistake. In fact, there was an old preacher, John, this guy's crazy, but John Bradford, he was an old English martyr. He said just crazy stuff during his life, but as he was dying, burned at the stake, somebody recounted his last words to the world, 17th century. He says this, (laughs) he's dying, he's screaming. This is the last thing he can say. Friend, foes, look at the creation God has given to his enemies. Imagine the world he will give to his friends. You can't imagine The mangoes in heaven. (laughs) Lastly, heaven, the Lord of heaven, will wipe away every tear. Imagine, by the way, the power of that because the implication is that People will have been crying as they come into heaven. He will wipe their tears. It doesn't say they won't have tears. He says it will wipe away the tears, which means as you come in, you will be coming in from a world of pain and suffering and anger. And you will come in and the same hand that still has a scar that hung on the cross will wipe the tear from your face. And Why is that important for a church today? I tell you it's important today because some of you have been crying a lot and only your pillow knows the story you've lay on your bed weeping crying and you've no one to listen no one to talk to you've lied there crying wondering what's going to happen where are we going what's what's my kid going to do and the gospel of jesus says that when you believe in him your future every tear will be wiped I close with this. I did the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I preached out of the book of Numbers for nine months. And when you read the book of Numbers, um, you notice something interesting. Israel is always in a desert. And something interesting about the desert in the Bible is do you notice, it's ironic, that when Israel is in the place with the least water, the most water comes out of their face they cry when israel is in the desert the most they cry the most but when we but the picture of heaven is a place where there's so much water and no tears and here's how we here's how we're going to end friends heaven is the reversal of the desert it is that place where there's plenty of water and you will not cry you want that believe <laughs> believe in jesus pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we turn to you. For every person in this room who is hungry and thirsty for God, would you hear the voice of your creator say, I'm with you. I love you. Believe in me. Believe in me. God, for souls in this room wrestling with existential relational crises, Jesus, would you enter into the hearts and minds of people in this room and give hope of heaven. Surprise us, God. We love you, we turn to you, and we worship you above all things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.